Welcome to Interior Creature in Communion. I'm Jacqueline Michelle, and I am so honored that you're here. I can't wait for you to hear this week's episode. Each week, I sit in communion with a member of the Interior Creature community to talk about the work of deconditioning, of exploring every little nook and cranny of our birth charts, and the process of moving from intellectual epiphanies to actual embodiment of the highest, most compassionate frequencies of the energies in our chart. Another thing to note, everyone who I sit with in community is given a pseudonym to protect their privacy and to create a safe container that allows for vulnerability and honesty. Today, I want to share the conversation I had with Isabella, not her real name, who is a reflector. For those of you tuning in who are new to human design, reflectors are the rarest type, and the last statistic I read estimates that they comprise less than 2% of the global population. What makes them so unique is that all of their nine centers are open and receptive, which creates this potential to be incredibly sensitive and empathic. But because they have no inner authority, their decision-making strategy is to wait a lunar cycle before embarking on any massive decision. In order to determine what course of action consistently feels good in their body over the course of those 28 days. The lunar cycle also allows for the moon to transit all of their activated gates, giving them access to temporary definition and temporary activated channels. Basically, as the moon moves through their gates, they're able to use the specific lenses that those gates provide to gain intuitive insight into their decision. Over the course of our conversation, Isabella and I will explore her big four placements, so her conscious sun, her conscious earth, her unconscious sun, her unconscious earth, as well as her north and south node activations. We're going to explore her relationship to time and timing through her gate five and gate nine activations, and we're going to explore my take at least on how to interpret the lines. We're going to drop into the conversation right after I thanked Isabella for sitting down with me and asked her about her human design experiment thus far. Oh my goodness. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. I am excited to talk about this discovery. Um, you know, in some ways, it seemed like when I started looking at my chart that I was exactly the opposite of it. And I thought that was a really interesting note that was like, oh, maybe the underlying feeling that I've had this kind of like stubborn feeling that I was actually right about everything is well, like you know right about everything for me oh. um is actually okay uh I would say things to people like you know that's great that you have goals I just don't have goals or I just feel like a piece of wood in the ocean and um, kind of bobbing and floating along yeah yeah and it's like you know the piece of wood actually kind of it it stays in place because the wave action is moving like over and under it but it's yeah. it's able to make its way to the coast or whatever this analogy is yeah uh at its own pace and even though I felt totally wrong at such a deep level like in my relationships and interactions and jobs I also felt this deep inner knowing that there was, that I did know it was right for me, but I couldn't quite access it because it was too different. It's so hard considering like, it's so funny, two things. Like when I ran my first, when ran my chart initially and found out I was a generator, I was like, but I feel like a reflector. Like, I don't understand, like, how am I this generator? And when I actually pulled it apart and looked at my conscious personality versus my unconscious design, consciously I'm a reflector and it was like then all this stuff started to make sense in terms of like why that was the thing I initially connected to because your your analogy of like being a log on the on the water is like perfect like sometimes you do feel like you know I need to retain 
kind of what am I as everything's moving through me and under me and like reminding yourself, like you're not the water, you're existing on it and above <laughs> it. Like that can be really difficult. Um, but the second thing I wanted to kind of point out was what I thought was so interesting as you were talking was like all the um, what's mine, like everything kind of kept coming back to this idea of identity. And one of the things I love to do with reflectors when I work with them is to kind of look at where the energy kind of lives in your chart. Um, I hate it when people say like reflectors are these empty vessels and nothing is yours and everything is everyone else's. <laughs> and I'm like, ew, no, like that's not been the experience of any reflector that I've met. Like, I disappear when I'm alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like um, that quantum theory of like matters only there when we observe it. Like, you know, it's like, oh, your reflectors are only there when they're observed by others. That feels kind of disempowering. Um, <laughs> But what I thought was so interesting is like the majority of your gate activation. So we're looking at, um, we're looking at Isabella's chart right now. And if you kind of look, obviously as a reflector, every single center is open. But one of the things I'd like to look at is which center has the most gates activated. And for you, that's your self-center. And of the gates activated in your self-center, you have gate two activated. And gate two for you is, what is it? It's your conscious, it's your conscious mercury. And so that's intellect, that's communication. And gate two is my favorite gate in human design. It's all about what direction are we headed in? Like, where are we going? And then how are we getting there? And it helps us kind of like readjust our course and our path as like the waves come in we didn't expect or, you know, up, it gets a little stormy. Like, how are we going to get to the coast? Or, or should we change coast? Should we go to a different <laughs> coast or dr like drift down a river? Like, what should we be doing instead? Um, gate two is kind of like the, the sentience that puts the, uh, coordinates in the GPS, as well as the GPS itself that like reroutes us. So I love the fact that you've kind of already located that in yourself as, you know, when you're going through your lunar cycle and when you're kind of, you know, putting yourself in different environments, like the fact that you naturally kept coming back to the question, like, is this mine? Do I identify with this? Like, what is my inner knowing about this thing? Like that's so bang on because that is where the concentration of your energy lives. Hmm. Thank you for phrasing it that way. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's so <laughs> funny because I know true. one of the questions I remember you were asking in your, when we initially kind of like talked via email was this idea of like, how do I process? Because you do have so many gates in your chart that are experience oriented, but then you also have gates in your chart that are very intellectual. Like your unconscious sun and unconscious earth are both sitting in your head center. And so I remember where the questions you were asking was like, you know, do I process things through my mind? Do I process things through my body? Uh, talk to me a little bit about your kind of experience with, with trying to experiment with that. Um, I guess that it was phrased to me at some point and it kind of hit different when I heard this, this idea that was like, in order to get unconsciously to get to the body, you still have to process through the mind because you are taking in so much energy through the head center. Um, and I've been kind of just thinking about that and experimenting with it. But what I've really discovered is that a couple of years ago, when I found myself in like a kind of chakra, what turned out to be a chakra healing container, I never would have signed up for that had I known. <laughs> oh. But... <laughs> But it turns out that I did not have any kind of relationship with trusting the signals that my that the rest of my body, let's say, was giving me. Like I was pretty felt pretty safe with my head and thinking and logic, but I recognized that one of the big things that was almost 
preventing me from doing anything but hesitating was not being able to really feel what responses are like in my body, especially because I've always known they wouldn't be consistent, Mm -hmm. which is not a conflict unless you don't know. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I, it's so funny because I totally understand, like so much of what we're taught from the time that we like exit the womb. And that's like, again, amplified for you because you're completely open is when you're trying to make a decision, be logical, be pragmatic. (laughs) And the gates that you have activated up there are enhancing that. And it's interesting because if we go with, you know, the Robert Allen Krakauer's theory that like 70% of the energy in our chart is literally like the sun, the earth, the nodes and the moon, like anything that reflects light of the sun absorbs light of the sun. Like two of those dominant, prominent places for you, gate 63 in the head, gate 64 in the head, gate 64, like wants to understand a coherent story. It's like pushing for the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, the how. And so it makes sense that being that that's your unconscious earth, your brain feels a bit of like, like that's an itch I can scratch, right? Like I can get the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, the how, get that clarity. And then I can move forward, right? Um, and 63 has this like scrutiny to it. Like it's supposed to be kind of like a um, like a discernment, like a scientist or a journalist would use like, I need proof, I need corroboration. I need to like, you know, make sure things are you know actually as they say they are. And so that kind of healthy sense of skepticism, that scrutiny, that, you know, thoroughness in, intellectually, like it's definitely an asset you have. But it's interesting because so much of your, your incarnation cross especially has to do with timing and skills and like physical experiences, like bringing it from your brain into your body and letting your body kind of react to it. I wanted to jump in and explain just a little bit about Isabella's incarnation cross, the left angle cross of identification with her son in gate 16. This incarnation cross is all about the intersection between experimentation and embodied wisdom and the tension between what we think we know with our brains and what we've experienced with our bodies. There's also a lot of interpersonal karma to this cross because at its core, it's about self-identifying as to whether you're the right person or not to step up and be of service to others within a variety of circumstances. So it's about cultivating self-awareness for the sake of serving both your own energy and serving the community in the most aligned way. Now, let's get back to our conversation. Again, it's almost like amplifying the challenge for you because you are so open (laughs) and like what's mine, what's someone else's, that almost like underscores the need for the 30-day lunar cycle or the 28-day lunar cycle to kind of go, okay, over these 28 days, what remains consistent regardless of where I am, regardless of like who I'm with, like what is the consistency there? And it takes that long sometimes to figure that out. Absolutely. Also, as you were talking, I just kind of got this image or not image. um, I don't know, some kind of hit sort of about like if you were to take the whole mandala and make it into a diagram and just sort of like cross things out and circle things and be like, oh, it's definitely not this energy that I need to work or like I don't quite mean it in that sense of like, oh, I'm not going to work with 38 energy right now. or I'm not Mm going to work with whatever. But um almost this sense of being able to be observing it so with such ease mm-hmm. be observing it with such little judgment perhaps that it would be uh that you could kind of just like cross off the things where mm-hmm. i have a very very strategic well i guess you see my chart is extremely strategic yeah. um, and a lot of times or in this conversation, I'm noticing that I'm like, oh, actually, 
if I consider the whole first and then go into the detail orientedness that's very natural to me, mm. that actually might, it might give me a map instead of what I generally experience as being like, look at all this land. Yeah. End of it sentence, tells you where you to know? start, where to dig. Like if you've got a treasure map, like we'd start with the X and not with like anything <laughs> around the X. Like what's what? interesting too is, exactly. Like what's interesting too is that like, so you've got like gate two, which is such a, one of your, you know, powerful gates in your self-center. Like, is this the right direction? Am I headed in the right direction? Am I on the right path to get to the thing? In yourself, you also have gate 10. Like what is it? And is, what is it? What course of action is it an act of self-love to take? You've got your creative voice with gate one. And then gate 13 is like considering, I guess, other people's perspectives, other people's experiences as well. Um, like they're kind of all vetting this thing for you. In addition to all the other gates you have activated. Um, what I did while you were talking is I pulled this up on the screen is your rave mandala version of your chart. I thought it might make sense to jump in again and give non-reflector listeners some context. All types in human design, apart from reflectors, are considered solar beings, meaning the majority of our energy is dictated by the sun. In fact, for all types, the gate our sun opens determines our incarnation cross, and the lines that the gates opened by our conscious and unconscious sun are on determine our profile. But in addition to those placements, reflectors are considered to be lunar beings and are heavily influenced by the 28-day lunar cycle. So if you're watching this podcast as a video, on the screen you're going to see the Rave Mandala version of Isabella's chart. Each gate maps to a zodiac sign, and it takes the moon roughly 28 days to cycle through all 64 gates in order, counterclockwise around that Rave Mandala, averaging about two to two and a half gates a day. Now, there is a software that you can purchase uh, where you can access literally where the moon is at any given moment, but it is kind of expensive. Also, energy doesn't adhere well to borders or boundaries. I know reflectors that will feel a transit's influence before, during, or even after that transit's been completed. So I don't know that that level of hyper-specificity is necessary unless that feels really helpful to you. There are free apps you can download, like the Moon app, which provides a calendar of when the moon will be in each sign. Now, if we look at Isabella's chart, she has two gates in Gemini, gate 16 and gate 45, with gate 16 near the first 10 degrees and gate 45 near the final 10 degrees of the sign. And she can proudly safely guesstimate that the moon will hit gate 16 on the 27th and gate 45 on the 28th if we go by the Moon app's calendar. She then has a big gap in her chart. There are no major planets, conscious or unconscious, in Cancer or Leo. So she has this five or six day gap where she might not experience a clear sense of what course of action feels consistently right for her until the moon moves into Virgo where she has her next gate activation. Or there might be energies that gives her temporary access to channels or defined centers she might need insight from, and she can use this strategy to plan for that. So during this conversation, we talk about gate five, and gate 15, its partner in the channel of rhythm, is governed by Gemini and Cancer. If her decision is, say, about timing, that actually might be a transit she wants to take note of and plan for because when gate 15 is transited by the moon, she'll get temporary access to the channel of rhythm, a defined self-center and a defined sacral center, and perhaps a solid block of time where her sense of her own rhythms and timing are a bit more sharp and a bit more consistent. If the last 30 seconds or so was confusing, do not stress. I promise, stick with me this season and transits will make so much more sense because they are my special happy nerdy place and we're going to talk about them a lot. I'll even link to a video in the show notes from my YouTube channel that gives you a crash course on transits. 
Anyway, that's a strategy many of the reflectors I've worked with in the past have found really supportive. So I wanted to throw it out there to you just in case you want to incorporate it into your experiment. Now, back to our conversation. The way also I kind of give my, my reflectors like ways to kind of hack this too is like, say you have a massive decision to make and you know the moon is in cancer. Like you might not get clarity until the moon moves into Virgo. And then you're going to get even more clarity when it moves into Scorpio because you have so many gates activated there. And then even more clarity when it moves through Sagittarius and Capricorn. And then like, oh, there may be a little bit of a gap, but then, oh, we get a ping in Aquarius and we get a ping in Pisces. Like you're, you're almost like letting, it's like different windows you're viewing the decision through. And now it's like the glass and the panes of glass kind of color how you experience then what's on the other side of that. And it's basically like making sure you take that decision through all those different vantage points. But then you might also notice that like some of these may not be relevant to what you're you're asking about too. Like if you had a, I don't know, like say again, like a decision comes up that's really, you know, direction oriented. Like, do I take this job? Do I move to this country? Do I, you know, like we want to make sure gate two gets involved with that, right? Like, but maybe there are some other gates where you're like, I don't know if my creative voice is quite as important in this decision. Like you can kind of also decide what kind of dates you want to pay attention to what your body is telling you about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've actually, I've been working with this for a while and I love the way that you said that it is just holistically makes so much more sense to hear it said than to try to piece it together, even looking at stuff like that. Oh yeah. And it's, it's interesting. So one of the things that struck me too, was like how much intellectual energy you do have in your chart. Like you're, you have all quad left facing arrows, which are very concrete, very like structured, very kind of organized in that way. And you have six of your gates, I believe, sitting on a fir the first line. And the first line is incredibly cerebral. It wants to like research it. It wants to be intellectual. And that's probably why the person that you talked to before gave you that advice of like, sometimes it needs to start in the brain, but we always need to move it to the body. Um, I always talk about it. Like we need to take our epiphanies and move them into the embodiment phase, right? Like, what am mm. I going to do with that thing? And so I think like, if you start with the brain, I don't think that's necessarily wrong as long as you're bringing it back to your body and saying, well, if the brain says this is a con or a pro, what is my body telling me about that over the course of this lunar cycle? And like what Gates lens is going to give me the best vantage point to feel in my body what feels right, what feels wrong? Mm, yes, absolutely. This episode of Interior Creature in Communion is sponsored by me. Yes, I am channeling Miley Cyrus. I can buy myself flowers and I can sponsor my own podcast. So this weekend on Saturday, March 4th, I'm teaching a workshop entitled Sun Above, Earth Below, Fire Within. Clarify your path and catalyze your purpose using the language of human design. I'm sure you're familiar with that spiritual teaching, as above, so below. But did you know there's a second sentence to that law? It goes as within, so without. This is the universal law of correspondence, and it teaches that our outer reality is a mirror of what's happening in our inner world. If you came to the 2023 reset back in January, you experienced a taste of doing this work with me, but there is so much deeper we can go. There are layers and levels to this great human design experiment. And this weekend, I'm going to teach you how to supercharge your inner work by zooming your focus in on four very specific placements in your chart, your conscious sun, your conscious earth, your unconscious sun, and your unconscious earth, also known as your big four. 
our big four literally set the tone for how all of the energy in our chart is expressed. And on March 4th, I'm going to introduce you to the clicks of gates that roll together to create your big four, teach you how those clicks inform your incarnation cross, and illuminate how to work with their astrological counterparts, all in service to helping you gain deeper insight into your path and your purpose. So here are the details. Again, the workshop's called Sun Above, Earth Below, Fire Within. It's this Saturday, March 4th at 11.30 a.m. Pacific Time, live on Zoom. And don't worry, if you cannot come live, I am going to record it. There will absolutely be a replay. So you can come live, you can just catch the replay, or if you want to double dip, you can absolutely come to both. The workshop's going to run about two hours. Uh, I want to have about 90 minutes for content. I always save 30 minutes for a live Q&A at the end. And the investment's going to be $33 US. So I cannot wait to see you. I hope you'll join me and get to know your big four. And speaking of the big four, let's get back to my conversation with Isabella because we're about to dive into her. Another thing I thought we were going to talk about, which I kind of love, is your your kind of south node to north node journey. It matches your conscious sun, which is so <laughs> interesting to me too, because like that's that's kind of serendipitous that you have these kind of like such a dominance and prominence of, of gate nine and gate sixteen energy in your chart. So for folks that are listening, her gate nine is her conscious earth, her conscious south node, and her unconscious south node, and her sun is gate sixteen as well as her north node conscious and unconscious. So you've got this like almost journey from the South Node to the North Node you're making consciously and unconsciously. And in, in the Gene Keys specifically, we talk about gate nine and gate 16, like with their earth and sun placement as being like, we need to get anchored, grounded, balanced with our relationship to gate nine, which is your earth, to be able to really shine the light of your sun, which is gate 16. So it's interesting that there's these like karmic kind of threads and connections and like almost like they're like set up little, little staircases, kind of both of them. <laughs> so let's talk about gate nine first. So gate nine has to do with focus. Sometimes it's called the gate of stillness. I've seen it called the gate of focus. Gate nine is like, how do we structure our time? Like what gets our focus? What gets our attention? But it's coming from this sacral energy place, not necessarily like an intellectual, like, oh, I'm looking at this and I'm going to pay attention to that for a certain amount of time. It's our physical sacral kind of like, what do I want to give my physical energy in terms of attention to, right? And how am I going to, I guess, structure my day, my time to be able to give that, you know, that energy to something. Um, and so you have that as your South node consciously and con unconsciously and as your, your, uh, your conscious earth. So that would be interesting to talk about, like, how do you find that it's easy for you to structure your day, structure your time in a way that feels joyful and aligned to you? Or is that something that you've struggled with over the course of your life? Oh, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's been a huge struggle, actually, but because I've had some time to look at why that might be, I fully, I come from a place where people are never alone. Ah, oh, that's so <laughs> Which, hard as a reflector. Um, yeah. You need to be alone. <laughs> yes, I really, I was so scared of being by myself physically, like not, I mean, yes, serial monogamous kind of energy, but part, but really, I think the core of that energy was more about really having no experience of my own energy like through no one's particular you know desire to cause any harm but it's um I feel that my ability to really choose what I did in any moment was always really in conflict with uh 
with just the sacral energy present in my environment my entire life. <laughs> so yeah, as I, mean, I that open sacral, that's so true. Like you're constantly sampling what other people are excited about, what other people want to focus on, like what other people are doing to structure their time. And if you don't have that separation, yeah, it's really hard to figure out, well, what do I even like? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I but really, I inter- it wasn't I until I moved like. across country. No, no. Um, like I moved across the country and I was by myself suddenly all the time. And I was just like, oh my gosh, who is this person? I like her so much. I love like, that. You know, um, but the ability to really focus my attention and time and structure that in a way that works for me is something that I still struggle with but my relationship with it is very different like now that I spend a lot of time alone I I'm able to sort of honor the time I need to stare at the wall and honor the time that I'm hyper focused on something that I'm engaged with or talking or not talking whatever the actual like desired focus event might be uh it's a lot easier for me to get there alone and I generally don't know what to focus on sort of funnily kind of my direction placement at two six is also one of my favorite gates um but I often laugh about those ones because I'm like I I would be great at being directed if I knew what to direct myself towards (laughs) um it's everything it's nothing no I it's so it's so yeah I mean and that's the hard part if you're kind of just getting this like full kind of like in your own energy establishing your home frequency I mean there is so much about you that is very open and like you know that beautiful analogy is like the log on the on the waves right like trying to figure out what's mine what someone else's it'd be interesting too because your gate nine is well gate nine's ruled by Sagittarius um and in your chart it sits both in your fourth and your fifth houses so the fourth house being like home family where we put our roots down kind of our foundational kind of aspects of our energy and the fifth house being like creativity and play and romance and like things that we're kind of giving birth to um was there that would be interesting to think about like childhood wise like because the south moon human design is not just like you know, what we're stepping out of in past life, because I know astrology thinks of it as like past life karma. Um, mm-hmm. I know that's like a broad reading of it. Um, but in human design, we also look at it as like our childhood. Like, what was it that happened in our childhood that either was like expansive and, you know, we were given, you know, a really great model for how to structure time. And, and like, you know, maybe we were given also flexibility <laughs> in terms of how we structure time. Yeah, most of us, it was like, you know, we went to a school where, you know, we were told what we needed to do at what moment we needed to do it for the entire day. And then we went home and we were also on someone else's timetable. Like, it might be interesting to kind of look at how that might have influenced, like, oh how you gosh. structure <laughs> creative play, how you structure your home life. Like, talk to me a little bit about that. Um, well, that's hilarious. Um, of course, which is like my theme word for the last couple of years now. Um, of course, uh, I actually grew up with, I would say, six different households that might have been in my, you know, somewhere my bed existed in a lot of places. Like my parents divorced really when I was really, really young, which was great. I'm so happy that they did that then. And I was surrounded by grandparents and aunts who were really excited to spend time with me. 
Um, and also my parents surely wanted to have their own lives. So the way that my probably like three to 15, I didn't necessarily know where I was going to sleep. So I have a major deficit in planning, especially things that are like longer term, larger projects that would require me to be in play, like, you know, literally, you know, sewing a fabric, <laughs> something that yeah. requires same place, same energy is, is super hard for me. Um, and understanding why that is like I've figured out at some point that it's like oh that's not good for a kid like it wasn't a lack of love trauma it was a lack of any structure whatsoever and now that I am almost 40 and able to sort of look at that from a perspective of a person who's my parents age at the time um that was a garbled sentence no Um, I get it it's hard to like (laughs) Like there wasn't, if there wasn't someone modeling for you, like this is what a consistent structure looks like and feels like, it was hard for you to even establish like, well, what feels good? What doesn't? Because again, you're constantly like, like you weren't, the waves weren't passing over and under you at that point, you were like carried along the current and like, you didn't really have a choice as to like where you were ending up. It was more just like, this is where the log goes. Great. Now I just have to be there. And so that lack of structure may also be something that your body is trying to kind of experiment with now a little bit like what feels safe what feels consistent where do I put roots down especially with that Sagittarius placement in your fourth house of home and family and foundations like what are those things that feel good enough to me that I want to anchor down into them and like feels good consistently over the course of you know many lunar cycles like what are those things that feel yeah consistent and does consistent even feel safe Mm mm-hmm yeah, does consistent feel safe? That's a very good question. Be- and, you know, it's funny, without ever hearing it and knowing immediately that I'm like, oh, that that's something I'm going to work with a lot this month. Thank you. Um, I've also, I often, and I hope everybody kind of is able to sort of look at themselves in these processes. It's like, actually, I have been in whatever abstract way directing myself towards these things that I know actually like or that not I know that that my body knows are good for me that I'm consciously not yet aware of but yeah it's like uh I do tend to if something starts to feel consistent I reject it (laughs) um but at the same time I have a different relationship with that like I go to the beach almost every morning I am oh, I like able, that. you know, it's uh, yeah, I realized at some point when I started doing it that I was like, oh, this is resetting my whole neurological, like every part mm-hmm. of me is reset by this. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like waking up in the morning and then, and then waking up in the morning again, knowing yeah. what you knew 10 minutes ago. It's <laughs> so funny too, because gate five and gate nine, I always call them sister gates. Like gate five is also a big energy in your chart. And five is like saying yes to your own timing and kind of mm. saying like, screw society's timetable. I'm going to do things when my body tells me like, this is a yes for me. And they say that people with gate five or gate 15 or like that full channel of rhythm, we need to be in alignment with nature's cycles. Like I have gate 15. So right now, like I'm giving, we're giving each other that full channel rhythm as we're talking. One of the things I've noticed for myself is that when I like cut down an electric light at night, for example, like I've been experimenting with like, it sounds silly, but like little twinkle fairy lights as opposed to like 
big overhead, like neon kind of, you know, (laughs) I found that I'm falling asleep better. I'm staying asleep longer. I'm waking up closer to when the sun rises. I'm falling asleep closer to when the sun sets, which is dangerous when the sun sets really early. Like there was, couple, there was a month <laughs> where I was like, it's four o'clock. Why do I want to go to bed? But <laughs> exactly. But there's something also magic about like that grounding that you're able to do, like seeing water, putting your feet in the sand or the pebbles or wherever you are and like being, you know, in the presence of like something bigger than you. They say that those of us with those placements, 515, the whole thing, we need that on a regular basis. Like um, one of the things that's been healing for me moving to Tucson is I see mountains every day. And Mm. like, I can look out my window right now and I see a mountain range and it's like, oh, that just, it feels so much like more anchoring, more grounding. So I, it's almost so funny to me, like that's a very fourth house Sagittarius thing of going like every morning I go to the beach, like I'm putting down roots. That's part of what I know I need each day to be my best self. That's part of how I want to structure time. So, yeah. And then what's cool is once that kind of, you start kind of peeling back the layers of that onion and figuring out what are those things that like, I want to give my focus to in the timing that feels right for me, um, stepping into that North node gate 16, which is your conscious North node, unconscious North node and conscious sun. Um, it's funny. That's a Gemini gate and uh, Gemini governs a lot of the communication gates, but gate 16 also has a little bit of a playfulness to it. If we're kind of in the balance of that energy. So gate 16 is called the gate of skills. And it's, again, it's a sister gate to gate 35. Like 35 is the gate of change. And it's all about like exploration, getting your hands dirty, like trying it out, seeing what works, what doesn't, what feels good in your body, kind of just for the sake of it, right? But 16 has a little bit of an agenda. 16's like, I'm trying this (laughs) to figure out what I'm good at. And I want to master that thing, right? Like, because when it connects completely, it makes this thing called the channel of the wavelength, which is all about, having like a really deep talent that you can give to the world, right? Like 48's this discernment around how deep to go. And then 16's like, what can I contribute? What am I really good at? I think that there's this interesting intersection in your chart between like, again, honoring your own timing. What am I giving my focus to my energy to? And then that's almost like, so that's almost like the inhale that feeds you. And then the exhale is gate 16. Like, what do I do with that energy that feels adept adept rather and like (laughs) depth also and like of service but also gives me joy because there's this like intersection between joy and skill so talk to me a little bit about like your kind of journey with gate 16 like you know how has it been trying to kind of figure out like your your kind of gifts and skill sets I think that as I've like kind of been in this experiment, one of the first things I noticed was as obviously the first thing I read was 16 because I have so much of that and it's the sun. But it said like, this is the voice of I try. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, <laughs> no, no, no. This is the voice of I say no. And ah. then, and then once I say no, if you leave me to it, and you don't pressure me and you don't judge that I have just established the no, then I will come around and think through the whole thing or go through the whole thing in my body and give my real, uh, like my real next move. But I have in my earlier life was like really, really reticent to try anything that I wasn't good at or didn't think I would be good at, partly because I am do naturally have a lot of like just desirable soft skills and maybe it's the five two maybe it is not but people have always 
just sort of congratulated me for the things that they perceived me to be good at. And there are things that I'm obviously good at, like being logical or whatever. So for me, there is sort of this sense of like, what do, it's a combination of like, what do I want to do? What do I value being good at? And how do I process like sort of the stubbornness that will not allow me to hear other people's suggestions for what skills I should pursue um, while also not quite knowing myself what skills I want to pursue. Um, and it's been really interesting for the last couple of years that I have really just in letting go of perfectionism and really learning what like surrender and detachment, like a lot of these Buddhist concepts that I was exposed to as a little kid and then not for many years, like combining that openness to uh, experimentation and just being open to failing at things like these are new concepts to me and I think that's sort of what I meant at the beginning when I was saying that I was the opposite of myself yeah but, um I still think that I really really am starting to recognize that for me mastery sort of comes by accident I'm very rarely conscious of things that I'm learning while I'm learning them and that feels very right to me mm. um or like it just feels good in my body to sort of be in this situation where like last week I listened to an audiobook mm-hmm. and I was really resistant to the book but uh like a couple days later in conversations these concepts from the book that are kind of things that I need to heal and work with were just spontaneously coming out of me in conversation and in my own thinking about my my current experience it was as if my self processed this information independent of my consciousness and Mm -hmm. was able to be like use this use this Mm -hmm. energy for this and so (laughs) yeah I kind of recognize that's kind of how it works for me, that I can't always know what it is that I'm doing while I'm doing it or forever. It's so hard because like, so you're technically a 5'2", right? But you only have three gates on a second line. And so there are things, and it's interesting because two of those gates are sitting in the intellect, right? They're sitting in gate 63, 64, which is all about like things just naturally make sense or they don't, or I have a natural sense of skepticism with things, right? Um, And the brain, it's kind of in the background integrating what works, what doesn't. And again, like you said, it's not always a conscious process. Um, But what's so interesting too, is that your gate 16 sitting in your 10th house of legacy. And that might be part of why there is this reticence, like you were identifying around trying new things in public. Cause you're like, (laughs) if I fail and I fail in public, is that how I'm going to be remembered? It's almost like, that's kind of like a subconscious, (laughs) which like, it's funny because sometimes there are things we want to try out in private. And then there's some things where like the stakes are so low that like, like I always use bowling as an example of gate 16. Like you can tell gate 16 is out of balance <laughs> if you won't go bowling with friends because you're quote unquote bad. Oh my God. Because everyone's bad at bowling. Like there, no one is like, there's very few people that are good at bowling, right? And they, they get a, a special little tournament on ESPN once a year. But like the rest of us, we go because it's community. It's like a fun excuse to get around, get to hang out with friends, like, you know, just like be goof off, right? But I've met people with gate 16 who are like, I, I'm so bad at it, I'm not going to go. 
And <laughs> like, I understand that too. So like, that would be another thing to unpack too, in terms of like, you know, as a child, you know, was it, a, was it safe to experiment with things that you didn't know you were good at in public? Or, you know, if people, because a big part of the five of the five two is that projection, like people tend to project on a five twos aptitudes that they may or may not actually have. Cause you just come off as so capable, so competent. So like together that people just assume you can do things that you're like, wait, do I have that skill set? Like, wait, hold on a second. Like, <laughs> like, cause you don't want to disappoint anybody. Like the five. Sometimes two, I've often known I didn't have that skill set and I will watch the projection and be like, wow, really? Yeah. You think, like you think I could do that? Yeah. I've never even heard of that. <laughs> And it's so funny. So like a big part of being a five is also kind of like managing expectations, like lovingly saying to people like, oh my God, I'm so honored that you think that that's something I can do. I've actually never done that before. Or that's actually not something I feel like I'm very good at. And, but the five part of you also wants to be of assistance. And so it's always kind of interesting. Like, how do I scratch that itch of like helping without actually betraying what I know I can and can't do? So like, can I support them by like, you know, referring them to someone else or helping them research a solution. It's interesting because the the two part though is like, if it's not a natural aptitude of mine, it doesn't really feel good to to offer, to be of service in that way. Um, I think it's just your 10th house, like taking that very seriously, that legacy like that. It's almost like do no harm, right? And it's yeah. interesting too, because it's sitting on your first line and the first line values like certification, accreditation, like the gold star from someone else that says like, yes, you know how to do this thing. Um, that might be another, another interesting thing to unpack, like your relationship to like trusting your natural aptitudes versing, vers versing versus <laughs> the open throat right there, uh, versus like trusting, uh, like what you've been taught, I guess, like if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like so many of the things you're saying just hit so beautifully because I recognize that you're absolutely right. Like, that's, yes, definitely. Um, it's just funny because it's like, like, I learn very easily. Like, it's not, um, it's kind oh, yeah. of ironic to me how the the reticence, the rejection, the then coming back around and being like, oh, actually, I just changed my throat about that kind of energy. Um I don't know. I just feel, I feel more peaceful in this conversation with this sense of balance between things that I know because I learned them and things that I know for no reason and things that I may not know. <laughs> this episode of Interior Creature in Communion is sponsored by well, no one yet. We are a baby podcast. It's our first episode, but I would love to welcome on board anybody who's interested in sponsoring, who maybe is a small business owner in the spiritual or wellness space. I would love to be able to share the genius that is you and your brand and your offerings with the amazing Interior Creature community. So if you're interested, email me at interiorcreature at gmail.com to learn how to sponsor an upcoming episode. Now back to the podcast. Gemini allows it to all be you. That's what I love mm -hmm. about Gemini stewarding this place, man. Because like we always think about the duality, like Gemini is the twins. But I always think of Gemini as like being like almost like a multifaceted jewel that has like so many <laughs> different faces and so many different prisms that like all of it can be you. And I think there's part of you that's like, there's going to be this playful side that's like, okay, let's experiment with it. Let's try this, see what works, see what doesn't. Maybe it wants to do that in private and kind of figure it out. Maybe sometimes <laughs> it wants to do it in public. Um, and it's interesting too, because your son in Gemini is in your 11th house, 
which is friends like humanitarianism, technology, our hopes and wishes for the future. So it might be certain places where you're meant to shine your light because it's that dominant sun placement. It's like once you've done the experimentation, whether it's private or public, figured out what that skill set is, it's like then you want to use that to help other people in a way that truly feels of service. And also like kind of scratches that fifth line itch of like, you know, I know I have an aptitude here and I know that the projection and the reality are going to be matched, but maybe that, that process of, of integrating that, of figuring that out, maybe that happens a little bit more privately, which again, as a reflector is helpful too, to kind of know that about yourself. Cause you know, there's, there's moments where it's like, I need to get into my home frequency and figure out what I'm magnifying back or mirroring back. And what's that. it's like giving yourself that kind of permission to do that. I guess I had two questions. One yeah. was, which house system are you using? Ah. And the other one is a constant curiosity of mine is this relationship between the first and sixth lines. And part of that, part of the reason that is, is because like you see, my unconscious uh, nodes are on the what sixth line and yep. my conscious nodes are on the one line so and I'm obsessed with the spectrum of meaning which also yep. feels very Gemini to me and I love mm-hmm. that that is actually I have identified that the energy that I that I bring and learn and you know my relationship with patterns and spectrums of meaning and experience are the work that I am here to do and share with people. Yep. Um, I don't know quite how that plays out, but it's just kind of a constant curiosity for me because also I have the I have the one one and also the two six. Yeah. And I have kind of looked at those lines in the I Ching and yeah. and you know, again, one of the processes of understanding a pattern and a spectrum is letting go of the judgment around what the you know, perhaps the wording of the thing and saying like, oh, line one is like hidden dragon, do not act. So if I'm just like reading that straight, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I don't use your creative energy, you know, like, it it doesn't mean that, (laughs) of course. It's it's so interesting. The way I look at the lines is because you're right, like sometimes some people are very kind of traditionalist and purist and like, look at the lines almost like rungs on a ladder. And like one being at the bottom of the ladder because it's the foundation and like we're trying to ascend up to the top rung of the ladder, which is line six. I don't see it that way. I think each line gives us a different vantage point to understand the gate. Um, I almost like the parable of the blind man and the elephant, like thinking about each one of the lines being one of the people that's blindfolded, that's trying to touch the elephant and figure out what it is. It's like (laughs) somebody who's got first line energy is touching the trunk and they're like, it's a snake. And someone with second line energy is touching the leg and they're like it's a tree trunk and it's like no, we, all, we need to see all of the different we need like all the the metaphorical blind men and women to come together and like discuss what they've experienced and integrate it together to understand we were all touching an elephant um or else you're just not going to get the full picture so i can see it mm-hmm. i actually really like it when people have kind of an even distribution of gates in their chart like yours are actually pretty evenly distributed you've got six of your gates in the first line three in a second four in the third five on the fourth, three on the fifth, six, uh, five on the sixth. So like there's, they're nice kind of like, there's at least three gates on every single line. So you have this diversity of perspectives through which you're learning the gates energy. And even with gate 16, it's on a first line, it's on a sixth line um, in places. <laughs> like you've got different vantage points and a fifth line. So like you've got three of the six, like, you know, perspectives to look at that energy through. 
I almost feel like that's, that's the way I kind of view it. I don't like mm -hmm. looking at it as like an absolutist or, um, in fact, actually I was, um, I had a client once that was in a Facebook group and, um, somebody was asking for, you know, an interpretation of a gate that they had and someone in the comments had shared and another commenter popped in and was like, well, what line is that gate on your chart? And she's like, oh, it's on line two. And she's like, well, mine's on line five. So I know more about it than you do. And then she's proceeding <laughs> to answer it. I'm like, no, it's not hierarchical. That's such line five energy. I guess it's like, I'm going to fix it. You sit down. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. But like, it's all, it's all different vibrations of the same. Like, it just, it's a different vantage point. So to kind of answer that question, like, I almost think it's beautiful that you have so many different perspectives. Um, in fact, when I notice people's charts, sometimes they won't have any lines on a specific gate. It's like, that's interesting. Let's, let's see maybe where that's being made up for in your chart, like in terms of the, what gates are being activated or, you know, maybe people you're calling into your life are here to teach you, you know, from mm. that perspective. So it's always Ooh, interesting yeah. to kind of like see that. Um, oh, what was the other thing? I think also your cross of identification is so interesting too, uh, because I, I love what you were kind of mentioning before, like so much of what you're here to do in this world is kind of this dance between intellect and, and embodiment. Like this, because uh, cross of identification is about kind of running all of your big decisions past A, like, does this feel like me? Is it an integrity? Um, and like, where do I, do I offer service? Because the fifth line energy, like the fifth line wants to solve, it wants to fix, it wants to be of service in some way. Like, I need to really make sure that this is something I can help someone with. I have that skill set. I can bring that to resolution or I can be really, you know, helpful in that way or not. And maybe the best thing I can do is step out of the way. But it's like being able to self-identify in that way. Um, it's almost like when you build a video game character and you choose its like characteristics it's almost like your higher self was like, I'm going to give her this cross of identification, which seems pretty straightforward, but she's going to be a reflector. And so it's going to be really hard to figure out what's hers and what someone else is. And like, so I think for you, a lot of it too, is like almost combating, not combating, but just knowing what, what is outside of you and what is yours and giving yourself that ability to come back to your home frequency and really like check in with yourself before, you know, you're either... I don't know, compromising yourself or your integrity or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. Very real. <laughs> An ongoing, ongoing thing. And it's funny, like on that one thing I've been noticing is that a lot of times I am like very kind of aware of like how to not make the same mistake over and over. But I sometimes notice myself not intentionally, but almost intentionally doing it where I'm like, you know, let me just engage the curiosity that will allow me to have even more perspective on this, knowing that it's not for me, like, or knowing that I think it's something that I've been unconsciously doing to sort of reframe my experience in terms of like, how do I balance these apparently conflicting things I know about myself? Or yeah. even like, how do I balance the apparent conflict of capitalism and myself? <laughs> I know. know? Um, you know, it's and interesting. You've got the third, you have a lot of third and sixth line energy. And given you and I are about the same age, like we're, we're kind of on 40s doorstep, like our, <laughs> all of our sixth line energy was in the third line for the first 30 years of our life. Like, and so even though we're not technically like we don't have a six in our profile, that's kind of the way that six line energy behaves is it takes the first 30 years to really like 
throw it all against the wall and see what sticks. Like it has to kind of be this like trial and error energy. So like right now, all of those, those five gates of yours that are sitting on the sixth line are starting that epiphany to embodiment process of like integrating and like trying to figure out like, what, have, what do I actually know to be true and where do I need to do more experimentation? And so that might be kind of oh literally gosh, like naturally energetically what's happening as those five gates kind of migrate back up to the, the sixth line. Amazing. You know, and it's funny. I know you've got a thing in a few minutes, so I'll oh, keep it quick. But um, so one thing that I often look at and that your six line observation strikes me because I was recently learning about life cycle charts and Saturn return charts and whatever, and like going really deep in the pro genetic matrix. I'm like, oh, it must be a line one day. Um, <laughs> but- yep. But I was looking at my Chiron return and I was talking to a friend. So my Chiron is, I think, 20 consciously and eight unconscious. And then that would make me a self-projected projector with the one eight and the 10, 20. And then that that will be for the rest of my life conditioning that I can work with. And I just laughed so hard. Because at the same time, like the algorithm of all, you know, the whole internet is showing me like Wendell Berry or like, look at all these old people who decided <laughs> to commit to themselves and become poets and <laughs> physicists and yeah. all these things. And I really looking at that Chiron, those Chiron placements made me really fully recognize that. I recognize also that it's conditioning and it is something that, um, you know, it's it's something else that's also inconsistent, but in a different way, the transits are kind of consistent. They just yeah. exist on such a long time that we can't perceive them in our human brain. Yeah. So, um, and those things are like, so interesting too, because like 20 is bringing bringing action and voice to those acts of self-love, which is honoring your identity, honoring your integrity. And eight is like, where do I contribute it? Like, you know, where do I contribute that creative voice? So there, it's like, it's a map. It's beautiful, but it's perfect. Cause it's like, now that you've done all the experimentation and like, really like, and that is Chiron is literally our Chiron return is when we step off the roof. Like anybody who's got a lot of six line energy, that's when we're literally supposed to have been done the integration process. And like now we're magnetizing the right people, right things to us if we've done it the right way, right? So yep. I love that. Oh, I think that's so interesting. Chiron's a rabbit <laughs> hole. I need to dive down further. Um, oh my God, I, I'm I super that. down anytime to brainstorm. Oh, totally, <laughs> we should do that. We should totally do We should make a Chiron return date. I have to, mine's in like 10 years, so. Yes. You know, or ish, <laughs> oh I guess I'll have let's to look. <laughs> we should totally do that. Just have like a whole, let's, let's go to, let's figure out Chiron. But last thing, oh, you asked about what house system I use. I think it's Placidius. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the one. It's because that's just like the normal, you know, the the software I use to kind of quickly generate, you know, where is everybody's thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's also another reason why they're spanning. Sometimes you have Gemini in multiple houses. Like, I think that's why it kind of just goes like specifically at the degree. Um, and I actually, I like that better because I've like kind of looked at all different sort of house systems and then kind of landed on whole signs because I'm not super deeply educated in astrology. Mm-hmm. But while I'm looking at the chart, the way that you've done it, I'm like, oh no, no, definitely. Like, absolutely. <laughs> my Sagittarius is in both of those spaces. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. Um, my, yeah, 
Definitely. It's funny. It made sense for my chart and like my friend's charts and my family's charts. And like, as I was doing this for clients, I'm like, okay, this is, I think the one that makes the most sense. But again, like, I think I always tell people like, go with what feels good to you. And if there's wisdom that like, you know, looking at this through a sidereal perspective or looking at this, like you can, if you want to do the math and do that work, like go to town, if that's going to give you the insight that you need. Right. Oh, totally. And I mean, Actually, kind of on really quickly on the topic of the sidereal chart, my sidereal chart, like really, it's it's so funny because as I had mentioned, the Chiron return puts me in this self-projected projector space. Well, so does the sidereal. And I think that's really interesting because over and over I've had that described as sort of like the higher self kind of astrology, which makes sense to me because it's like, yeah, that's actually what's in the sky, not yeah. what we've been like, not the projection that we've been shifting slightly for tens of thousands of years or what have you. Um, and it's interesting to think that it's like, if we look at this same perspective through like, what would it look like to be playing out like my highest self or what, language you want to use with that and I'm like oh yeah, oh, yeah absolutely that's, it fully matches up with yeah. where I know I will end up in a way <laughs> I love that's that's why I love the gene keys like I think one of the things that never sat right with me with human design is this idea of like something's either exalted or it's in a detriment and it always seems very fixed like I know Krakauer had gate 51 as his incarnation cross he was very provocative he liked to say things that were intentionally provocative to kind of <laughs> shock people right but sometimes the way it's transmitted makes it sound like things are very fixed, right? And I understand there are people who are very purist in their interpretation and that to them feels right and like totally go down that rabbit hole. Um, But for me, it never did. And so when I discovered the gene keys and like even Richard Rudd's like um, explanation of that spectrum of energy of like this idea of being in the fear frequency, I call it the fear, the shadow frequency, I call it the fear frequency, Um, being in the gift or being in the city, this compassion or this like divine love energy. Like that always felt to me to be more of like, well, that's something I can work with. That's that actually takes yes. the, the active contemplation of the I Ching and brings it into this, like, you know, you have agency and you get to kind of like choose how you, you know, how you handle this energy or like you can bring awareness to patterns that maybe wasn't there before. It just felt like there was more agency in like, you know, because in human design, it's like when we get to the strategy, the authority, we're like, great, okay, I can do something with that. And then the rest of the chart is almost like fixed. And it's, I, I, I don't know, that never has sat right with me. So yeah, and and like the way that Ross speaks is very cavalier. So yes. I think that that is a part of it, like listening to Richard Rudd and listening to like Gene Key's content, it really, I think that I love listening to both together, yes. because yeah. um Ra almost feels to me like the way the world feels <laughs> and yeah. the Gene Keys talks feel more like the potential that I know is always present. Yeah. So learning to work with and then I totally would see how a lot of people would then feel this impulse to be like, OK, well, let me go to the Gene Keys. <laughs> like, yeah. no, no, no. It's back to the spectrum, though, yeah. because we need the fear in order to reach the yeah. next level. We need to be in these frequencies. Like if for a long time, I didn't listen to Ra ever. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, oh, I don't like the sound of his voice. That's enough for me. <laughs> and, That's true. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, he just I then, always got a splenic ick. Like, I don't know why, yeah. I just, every time I watch, my spleen is just kind of like, oh no, like my body kind of, 
but you're right. Like, I think like we're, it's like what Debbie Ford talks about in her book, um, the dark side of light chasers. Like we are our darkest parts and our lightest parts. Like all of it is valid and all of it is us. And we can't, you know, we have to go through the 3d to get to the 5d. I mean, to quote one of my, my clients yesterday was talking a lot about this idea of like this third dimension versus like this aspirational higher self, like we have to kind of be able to transit one to get to the other, if that makes sense. And like, absolutely. And we have to like, let go of the idea that we're even like, that, you know, it's like, we really need to lean into being the passenger on that. Because like, I mean, it is, I really believe that a deep part of ourselves is always trying to get up into the lighter spaces. And if we spend a lot of energy I don't know, like thinking about how we're going to do that. It's it's literally like, no, 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 this is actually a flow state. This is all about a natural process that is happening through us if we allow it. And And the dark states teach us too. Like sometimes we have to go through the dark to like, I mean, my incarnation crosses in the date of crisis. So (laughs) literally all about going through the dark to get into the light. I'm like, but I wouldn't be where I am right now if some of the stuff that I went through hadn't, you know, or, or the way my body even reacted and responded. Um, yeah, if I was in the moment, like I wouldn't have learned what I where I, I would be where I am right now. We're gonna have to close for today, but thank you so much for just nerding out with me about your chart, about just like yeah, it's, it's been thank it's been you. a pleasure and just like a breath of fresh air. That's it for this week. If you want to dive down the birth chart alchemy rabbit hole with me and you cannot wait till next week, I totally got you. Here are a few ways I can support you. First, head on over to interiorcreature.com and click on the link on the menu bar that says new to human design and the gene key. It's a little question there. And you'll be taken to a giant, ever-expanding click path full of articles and videos and resources on all things human design. And if you're ready to unpack your birth chart one-on-one, I would also love to work with you. So you can click on the link that says book a reading on that same menu bar for a complete list of readings that I offer. And I guarantee you, you'll find one that meets you where you are in your human design journey. And finally, for those of you that are deep in the experiment, but you want some support moving all your epiphanies from your brain into your body and your behavior, you are invited to join me in the Karmic Studies Elevator community. It's like a club and a course had a baby. So like a, a course, a corb? I don't know. I'm still workshopping that. Anyway, inside the elevator, you're going to have access to a highly individualized curriculum to help you make even deeper meaning of your birth charts. And we'll regularly join a group integration sessions with other members of the community for thought partnership, clarity, and communion. You can find out more at interiorcreature.com on that same menus bar by clicking on the Karmic Studies Elevator link. And finally, I would love to connect with you on social media. So you can find us at Interior Creature and at Interior Creature and Communion on Instagram. Instagram, on YouTube, we're at Interior Creature, and on TikTok, new, not a lot there yet, but I'm learning how to use TikTok. Uh, We're also at Interior Creature. Again, and all those are all one word. Thank you so much for joining me in communion. I can't wait to nerd out with you again next week. Until then.